Full eyes and no sight. Poisonous bunchback toad. The soul of this man is his clothes. Beetle-headed, flap-eared knave. Anointed sovereign of sighs and groans. Hello and welcome to the premiere episode of Strutting and Fretting, conversations with actors and performing artists from Houston and beyond. I am your host, Timothy Eggert, and we have a fantastic show for you today because we will be speaking with Jared and Amy Barnes. Both are triple threats, both are amazing actors, dancers, and singers, and their passion for musicals and spectacles have driven them to a new project which is all very exciting, and I'll let you talk about that. So so tell me, what is the news about this big project that you guys are working to create? Well, for a long time, we have had the dream that we would someday run a theater and have our own theater company that would actually pay actors and directors and choreographers and all of those things. So we have officially started our theater company, which is very exciting. And in... Still, the, uh, sorry, starting this uh-huh. venture, What what is your biggest hurdle right now? Well, right now, our biggest hurdle is just getting the word out there. Um, we're trying to raise funds for it. So our Kickstarter is the number one thing that's trying to raise the funds. And so that's kind of the biggest hurdle is we really only have one place at the moment that's collecting the funds and trying to spread that out everywhere yeah is the biggest hurdle just trying to get the word out to people that know that this will benefit them yeah if they you know if this actually gets trying um, to get that that word out as well of mm -hmm. really it it will benefit all performers um eventually and so that's what we're trying to get that you know get it out okay everywhere (laughs) and the nice thing about kickstarter though is that um and correct me if i'm wrong but you have a lot of um we have dogs we have dogs dogs. (laughs) i'm gonna worry about whether or not we should keep the dogs in or not because they're not too loud and annoying and um you know just to uh not to take away from our conversation but um for you out there in the listening audience um, we are recording this in what I like to call Studio E42, which doesn't happens to look a lot like a spare bedroom in my house. <laughs> and uh, right now we have normally two dogs, but we are also babysitting two other dogs, or dog sitting rather. And so we might have um, our conversation occasionally sprinkled with dog noises, but um, that was the first time and it was not as bad as I thought it would be. So I think yeah. we'll just let it go. And if there are dog noises, then the audience will just have to forgive us. But uh, what I was getting at, too, before we were interrupted by fluffy, you know, four-legged things, um, was my, and there they go again, is uh, my understanding of Kickstarter is that um, they give a great big description on, as far as details on what you're trying to do. Um, the risks involved. Mm-hmm. I mean, so it's not like you're just going out there and saying, hey, hand me money because I have an idea. You have this well thought out and, you know, what kind of details can they expect if they look at your just Kickstarter page? Well, we have, um, so specifically the Kickstarter is geared toward raising funds for our first production. So it's got information there about that first production and we have a budget 
on there so you can actually see what the money would be going towards. We also have you know, comments about the risks and challenges um, in putting on a production. And we have, um, there's a frequently asked question page. So anyone can actually ask us a question and we can post the answer there. So there is an open line of communication. You can ask questions before you donate and um, things like that. Okay. Um, we kind of got into this um, a little bit before because uh, we, were, we were talking about um, how how performing artists and actors would benefit from a new theater, but um, why create a new theater? I mean, don't we have enough venues? Is there is there something special about your particular, um, I guess, brand of theater making that would you know why why go to this trouble? Why why not just go to other venues and and you know try to create a show there? Well, there are several venues. That, mm -hmm. That's absolutely true. But they're all... Like you have community theater, which doesn't pay. Uh, and then you have several others that do pay, but they're few and far between, and it's hard to find the auditions for them because they're more selective in who they're going to allow for the auditions. With our theater, it's open to all kinds of performance. So you'll have stunts in combat, you might have aerialist work, you'll have you know, a lot of dancing, you'll have singing. So it's open for not just musical theater, it's not just plays, it's not just this genre of music, it's not just this genre. It's, it's open for everything. It's, like you said, a spectacle. Um, and so with our venue, it's, it's going to have so much more involved while also trying to get up to where we can you know provide a living wage for these performers Eventually. so they can make it to where this can be their job okay so are you looking to basically create a company of a lot of the same people I or are or are you looking for um i guess performing artists to come to you and pitch projects to you how does this work I would like to um for any production we do I would like to hold open auditions that are well publicized so anybody in this area could come and audition because I think there's a lot of talent here that doesn't get used um we also want to have local playwrights or um people who are excellent directors but don't have an outlet for that um yeah come to us and say hey I'm interested in doing this show um and we can use our space to facilitate that for them um, and make them a part of our schedule. So not necessarily a resident theater company that does all the shows. Um, I expect we would have repeat performers, um, but at least while a performer is doing a show with us, we would like to pay them as well as we can. Okay. That sounds awesome. Uh, tell me about this uh, first production that you're planning. So I'm a choreographer and I... I've choreographed a lot of musicals and I've choreographed out at the Texas Renaissance Festival. But there's always, you know, a certain requirement for my choreography, a certain direction that it needs to go. And so I've, over the years, collected all these pieces that I've just been dying to choreograph. And um, so this first production is a dance, it's a piece of dance theater. That's what I'm calling it. Um, and it's going to be a, a collection of these pieces that I'm choreographing but not 
not just in the way you might see a dance company perform, it's um, going to have some dialogue and the vocals are all going to be live. There's going to be some stage combat involved. So um, a little more theatrical than a normal dance concert and a little bigger spectacle, I guess. And how, how do you both divide responsibilities as far as, um, I guess, the, the performance that you're planning first and also, I guess, the organization you're trying to create in general? Well, as she said, she's the choreographer, so all the dancing is all her. Mm -hmm. um, I have more knowledge in stunts and combat, so anything in that fashion I'll be you know, taking point on. Um, as far as acting, I mean, we're both highly experienced actors, and so that's just kind of whoever is handling it at the time. So as far um, as the productions go, it's going to be, you know, production by production. We may not be on the right. directing team for some shows that we help right. produce. So um, occasionally I'll direct shows, occasionally she'll direct shows. Sometimes she'll be part of a show, I won't be a part of it at all, mm -hmm. or maybe just a performer. You know, it, so it's, it's back and forth, whatever, you know, us as artists are wanting to do with that show. Mm -hmm. And as far as the theater goes, um, it's set up to where we are both technically uh, founders, owners, president, and the board. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So um, no board to muck things up. There's no board, okay. So it is, yeah, it is a... You know, the theater company will be owned by us. Um, we've been involved in a couple theaters where the board has kind of taken over and we want to guard against that. Okay. <laughs> there well, you go. That, that sounds good. And um, I don't think we've actually named either the production or the theater at this point. Um, but this is, is called Haven Arts Theater. And Haven you Arts can theater. find it on um, lots of different... Um, sort of social media uh, avenues, as well as um, their uh, Kickstarter page, which is very important. And um, the first production is called Come Alive. Yes. Is that yes. correction? So if you uh, go to Kickstarter and look for, I'm sure, either Come Alive or Haven Arts Theater, you should be able to uh, pull either, well, they're all the same page at this time, um, pull that up and donate. And we do need to donate because all these... Um, Awesome things that we are talking about today can't happen without uh, you and your uh, contribution and support. So even if uh, you can't donate at this time, please uh, share and link. And I'm hearing noises other than dogs. Yes, I believe it is time for what we like to call on this Maiden podcast, um, the Fretworthy Five. Fret. Fret. Worthy five, which it's a game where I ask you five random questions, and um, sometimes they might be flippant questions that have absolutely nothing to do with anything else we talk about for the rest of the show. <laughs> you can either answer or say pass, in which case I will go to the next question. And but in order for me to stop asking you things, you need to answer a total of five. <laughs> okay. And by the way, a follow up question which I just, I try to get you to elaborate or clarify 
and why, that sort of thing, that doesn't count toward your five. Oh, okay. Is Sorry. this five oh, each okay. or five total? Uh, you can five together five is together. fine. Okay. So, okay. so, so, you know, we'll get Amy's perspective and we'll also get Jared's perspective cool. on this. Okay. Are you guys ready? Yes. All right. Sure. Uh, question number one. Um, what is your great American novel about? The one I'm writing? Yes. Okay. Well, actually, it's a young adult fantasy novel, and it's about where another race is sort of placed on our Earth to inhabit it, and their magic interferes with our technology, and a sort of steampunk society evolves from there, so... Are you really writing a great yeah, American actually. novel? I did not know that. Actually writing a that novel. is cool. <laughs> it's like, that is the best off-the-cuff improv answer I've ever heard to anything, and it's like... Oh, she's okay. No, yeah, no I'm not at all disappointed. I want to. I want to read that. That sounds awesome. Yeah. I've been able to read a couple of the segments, and it's it's a uh, really cool story. That's so. cool. Yeah, and and of course, Jed, your co-author. Yes, or yes, are, are you writing? Or write, are you I writing? I'm helping your own? her with the combat portions of her book. Okay. Uh, how are you? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So really, just saying. That's cool, darling. That, that's great. Yeah. There is so there. There's not a there's not a great American novel in your bones um, waiting to come out. At this point, not really. Okay. You know, <laughs> Fair enough. I, I tried novel writing a couple years ago, and it was kind of a Norse mythology based thing, yeah. and it, it got all muddled up. And yeah, I'm not a mm. writer. <laughs> have you guys uh, Have you guys heard about NaNoWriMo? Oh my yes, gosh, yes. Yes, and um, I tried that back in, oh my gosh, 2005, 2006, something like that, and I I didn't get very far at all. Yeah. It was really sad. I got through about three days, but I developed that drinking habit yes. that, you know, all great American <laughs> writers are supposed to have. You know, I, I, it got to the point where it's like, I'm, I'm just drinking. I'm not really writing, not writing anymore. anymore. I might as well yeah. just stop. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was, it was about some guy that was unstuck in time. And, you know, I nice. think that, I think that, um, I think that the time traveler's wife ended up being kind of what I thought mine was supposed to be. Okay. And it's like, well, there's no point in me doing that Aww. now. But, um, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe someday I'll get back to that. Okay. Uh, question number two, have you ever considered going vegan? Um, yes and no. Um, I do a lot of fitness stuff. Uh, my day job is a personal trainer. Oh, cool. So I do try to go and look at different diets, look at different, um, healthy lifestyles and vegans one that i've looked at and went you know i like my protein too much so <laughs> me too yeah i'm sorry i don't mean to offend anyone but animals are tasty they they are yeah they are. plants I, can't run away i'm just saying well it's true well unless you've read um Sorry, Day of the Triffids. Oh, in which I case, have not. No. Oh, my. They run away. You, you they, know, yeah. They well, run they away. run away and they attack, actually. Yeah. <laughs> They're like attack plants. <laughs> it's really cool. Um, no, it's uh, written oh, in the 50s by John Wyndham. And he's like, in my opinion, I mean, I'm not very literate in this subject, but in my opinion, he's like, he's like the grandfather of disaster novels, disaster okay. movies, that kind of thing. So... 
It's like the towering inferno is if it had been science fictiony would have been written by, by John Lindham. Um, but he did, he did write, um, uh, I forget what it's called. Uh, I want to say it's the Midwich or the Midwich Cuckoos, which was the basis for the movie village of the damned. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's, um, he has been adapted to cinema occasionally, but not very often. And a lot of people don't know about him. He's just sort of this, uh, not entirely obscure British author, but I mean, he's no longer with us, I'm sure. And and boy, have we gotten off in the tangent, <laughs> but this is what we do with the Fretworthy Five. So, hey, we're doing pretty good. Okay. Um, Amy, did you ever consider going vegan? Uh, no, or I have to eat meat. You have to? have to? Is there is there like a, a medical sort of reason? I don't know. Maybe. But, like, if I don't eat meat, yeah, I feel... She, she eats like... very small portions, oh. and she has to eat every two hours, or she starts okay. getting shaky. Oh, wow. And... Yeah, I do have to eat all the time. Okay. Well, yeah. no, that's 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 cool that you know your body enough to know that Do I that's... do that? Not yeah. always. Not but always. I do need to. Okay. <laughs> Should. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay, here's a hard one. Uh-oh. Skynet. <gasps> replicants. The Matrix or walking chrome toasters? Ooh. How will artificial intelligence dominate humanity? Skynet. Oh yeah. Siri. Totally. Siri and Gen- Alexa. Gen- no, Genesis through Siri and Alexis and Skynet. Yeah. Yeah, because we're already halfway there. We already have yeah. Skynet. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we were driving through a neighborhood and saw a, a one of those trash pickup trucks mm-hmm. that has the automatic arm that comes down and picks up so it's already taken away jobs and so you look at amazon and how they've got all their little robots that run around and mm-hmm. pick up things and take it here and there it's like yeah it'll be skynet for sure yeah yeah there's a um there was a recent x-files episode that was like basically um Mulder and scully constantly um being not quite killed, but harassed by um, machines and how they're all interconnected. And um, it, it's uh, not to spoil it for you. I'm going to go ahead and spoil it for you. Everybody who wants to see it has already seen it. Um, but I mean, it was on recently and basically they go to the sushi bar and there's nobody in the sushi bar except them. Oh, and they're robots that are making things in the back. And, um, uh, one of them had their order wrong. It was it was given to them wrong. It was this big, really ugly looking fish. I mean, it looked like an alien. It looked like it's something that would be in the X Files. But um, ever since then, like the robots from like Scully's security system at home and her little Roomba, are I don't I don't think it was that. Sorry, Roomba people, but um, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't wasn't that exact brand or whatever. But like mm-hmm. the robot vacuum cleaner in her house, and uh, sort of these self driving Uber things, and yeah. like um, also I think um, like even the GPS that Mulder was using to drive home, like they were all basically harassing them until Mulder would finally give them a tip because he stiffed their tip because you know wow, yeah it was that's scary. it was like yeah it was amusing we all have to be better teachers was the moral of that story right. yeah. <laughs> but um i think the the basis of that story and you see it in the teaser is this um new story in which um uh 
I forget, like it was Apple or Google or somebody, I forget what the news story is, but um, somebody basically put their AI out on Twitter. They put a bot out on Twitter to see what it would learn from other people interacting with them on Twitter. And apparently it became like this horrible fascist Nazi bot in like, like 24 hours. It was terrible. So the moral I, I of, could see that from Twitter. Yeah, and the moral Facebook moral or, yeah. of that story is we just have to be better teachers. Yes. Because yeah. um, I think the way they avoid the robot apocalypse is A, don't enslave the AI, but also <laughs> make B, like make sure that they've got a sense of empathy. Yeah. Um, and um, that might include human equivalent rights, which humans won't want to give them. Yeah, well, it can't be the black and white morality, right? No. Because then they go into the logic... Humans mm-hmm. must be eliminated. Yeah, so... But I think that's coming, and I think that's coming in our lifetime, and oh, oh boy, we better look out. Uh, so... But moving on to something a little less bleak. Um, how are we? Maybe, we? This is three. Maybe the AI will turn out like Data, you know? It could. Awesome. It could. Data was awesome. Um, and Data... The whole more. the whole driving force behind Data's character was he wanted to be more human. Yeah. So right. if you can instill that in them somehow, um, but I don't I don't I don't know that that I think Data is unique in in science fiction literature to a degree. And that that's I, true. I, I I don't, and I think that might have to do with the Roddenberry rule to a degree. Which if you uh, people listening out there don't know what the Roddenberry rule is. It's, uh, it's basically this thing in Star Trek, which I believe that um, Discovery ignores for the most part. Or, um, not Maybe not entirely, but um, the Roddenberry rule is basically um, that humans can have, or rather Starfleet can have um, disagreements and conflicts with other planets and cultures and races and things but they can't really disagree with themselves so much Mm. which a lot of the writers on those shows really hate because that you know disagreements create conflict and conflict creates drama and you know so I I think that um, a lot of people who think Star Trek is hokey I think that you know you can point back to the Roddenberry rule and that's That's probably what um, a lot of people you know that's what they get out of watching Star Trek. But anyway, uh, onto something less bleak than <laughs> um, the AI killing us. Um, what are your favorite misunderstood lyrics? Oh. I feel mm. like I should have, you know, like a like a, a, a timer or something yeah. going. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Um, Remember, you can pass. Yeah. Um... <laughs> But you've been doing so well so I can't, far. I can't remember. I can't remember the song. There, there's one that's like right on the tip of my tongue that I constantly had wrong for years, and somebody not too long ago just corrected me on the words. <laughs> but I can't remember it now. It's like, um... yeah, I'm gonna have to pass because I can't remember. I can't think of any. I know I sing a lot of songs wrong. I mean, there there's some of the the classics. I mean, you've got you know, rock the Casbah and you know, it was rock the cash box for the long. I thought time. it was rock the cat box cat for the cat box, long, yeah. long longest time, and I was like, yeah. why would they want to disturb the cat box? I don't. Why is that exciting? 
I don't get that. Okay, so I'm just going to say that that's a pass. Yeah. Um, I just had one. Um, Oh, I just thought, okay, if there was an action figure of you, what would it wear? Oh, Thor's armor. (laughs) Thor's armor? Yeah. That, but with that's one of my right? yeah modifications obviously it would have to be mine but um one of the nicknames i've had for many 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 years now has been thor and so i've connected pretty good with that character and uh so yeah an action figure of me would have some modification of thor's armor probably scale mail yeah probably some scale mail i'm i'm currently making one with leather and scale mail. Oh, Not that's the cool. Figure, Not the action figure. <laughs> the, the, the armor. You the are your armor. own collectible. <laughs> you are going to be your life-size action figure. That's cool. No. Amy? Um, I would want to be in like a elf rangery kind of outfit, green leafy kind of clothing with some leather belts and pouches and a giant long bow and arrows and really long red hair. And probably pockets. You'd pockets, have pockets. Lots of pockets. pockets? Yes, okay. everywhere. Pockets. Because, you know, every action figure has got pockets. <laughs> and the dogs are in agreement, so that's good. Um, do you uh, prefer reading a book on the printed page or electronically? Printed. Printed page. Okay, sure. why is that? You want to answer? For me, I like I love the smell of books. I also like holding... I like the feel of lots of pages. I like really fat books. Okay. Um, and also... Um, I can drop, you know, I can like spill some liquid on my book and it's okay. (laughs) I just let it air out. That's horrifying. (laughs) I can't. Oh, no. No, that's horrifying. Yeah. You probably dog ear all your pages and stuff like that. No, I don't dog ear. Don't do that. Bookmark. Okay. Bookmarks. For sure. Yeah. That's good. I don't know. But we have kids. Okay. And occasionally the coffee cup gets knocked I over. Also, yeah, I like to eat and out. drink coffee while I'm reading a book, and there's not enough hands for that, so <laughs> so something's going to happen. Okay, fair enough. I don't know. I, for for me, yeah, looking at a screen too long gives me a headache. Okay. And when I'm trying to read something, mm-hmm. it really happens even faster. Okay. So a book, though, I can read for hours and not get that. Okay. So. That's cool. I don't know. I find out that I read faster on my Kindle than I do using a, um, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't mind books, but it's like, (laughs) I hate books. No. Um, I mean, I have lots of them and I have a lot of them that I just haven't read. And I found that for some reason, um, whether it's because I can adjust the type, uh, or the, the font size or whatever else I can, I just read a lot faster and and I can also highlight stuff, and I do that without having to without having to destroy the book. Yeah, because I don't I don't. Um, I've had a lot of people come up to me and it's like, here, read this, and it's like, have you read that? Yeah, I've read that. It's like it doesn't look like you've actually opened it. It's like because the spine is actually really super careful <laughs> with the books, and yeah. and and to the the idea of spilling coffee on it is just horrifying. <laughs> But, um, but I don't know something recently I found, uh, you know, reading it electronically. I just, I just can read it faster. I don't know That's why. That's interesting. 
But anyway, that is the Fretworthy Five. You guys survived. survived. You had like all, you know, you only skipped once. So that's cool. Um, We're going to take a break. And in a few minutes, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, Amy and Jared as actors and choreographers and things like that. So don't go away. We'll be right back. The sponsor for today's episode of Strutting and Fretting is, well... (laughs) It's me. I'm your host for this podcast, but I'm also a Houston area actor. I invite you to stay informed of all my artistic projects on stage and otherwise by following me on Twitter at Danger Tim. Or you can find me on Facebook by going to facebook.com slash actor.timothy.eggert. That last name is spelled just like it sounds, E-G-G-E-R-T. While we're taking this pause, Twitter users will want to know that they can also find updates to this very podcast by searching for at FretMe. Now that I'm done shamefully plugging myself, and please understand there's a fair amount of shame until I find a real sponsor, uh, back to our show. Welcome back. You are listening to Strutting and Fretting, uh, conversations with actors and performing artists from Houston and beyond. I'm Timothy Eggert, and we are talking to Amy and Jared Barnes of Haven Arts Theater. Um, Their first uh, production, if they are successful in raising funds for this theater, will be called Come Alive. It is quite the spectacle and a musical review of sorts. Um, And tell them again about your Kickstarter. You can find it just by... If you go to any of our social sites for Haven Arts Theater, you can find a link to it. Or you can go to kickstarter.com and search for Come Alive or Haven Arts Theater. And you can read more about the production and about our vision and budget and everything. Okay. Um, so besides this new review in theater you're planning, as if that wasn't enough uh, for you, what's coming up for you as actors? Jared and I are both currently in a production of Kiss Me Kate at the Owen Theater. Mm-hmm. I'm playing Bill Calhoun, the gambling you know, Broadway hoofer. Okay. And I'm playing Lois Lane, who's a rising actress who is uh, also playing Bianca in the play within a play. Oh, and no relation to um, Superman's love interest? No relation. Completely coincidental. I don't know if that's a stage name she chose. Maybe maybe that's the deal. That's interesting. Inspired by comic books or... Yeah. Or I I think you need to figure this out. I do need to figure that out because everyone's going to want to know. Uh, yeah, you're going to get actually, I don't know. There's somewhere like off 1488. I think there is an actual Lois there is. Lane. I've seen it. Yes. yes, there is. And, um, that's okay. In Austin, there's an Abbey road as well. But, um, anyway, so, uh, just what made you want to become actors? Oh, wow. Well, for me, um, I'd always wanted to be a singer and from early, early on was in choirs and solos and all this kind of stuff. And about, I guess my sophomore year in high school, a uh, voice teacher said, you should try out for the musical. And I did, got in, loved the acting venue, the acting side of it, and just caught the bug and stayed with that instead. And so once I got into college and all this kind of stuff, it was all acting and singing and musicals all the way. So, Okay. Is it, it, do, do you prefer musicals to straight drama? or I do prefer musicals only because, I mean, singing was my first love. Okay. Thing, so 
but I love doing plays as well. Just really any anything that I get to put on a different character and play something new. Be someone else for a while. Yeah. That's cool. Amy? I, um, when I was five, I had the lead in The Bear Who Didn't Hibernate. So, um, I loved it a lot and have always done acting. So all throughout school, I was doing acting classes and plays and it's just, anytime I'm not doing a show, I feel like I'm going to die. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> I've always loved to She's cranky if she goes too long without being in a show. <laughs> oh, that's um, well. I, I hope you never feel like you want to die again. I just, you know, I I hope that you constantly are cast. You know, oh yeah. Um, I can deal with not getting cast. That's happened enough times. <laughs> as long as you don't want to die. Okay. Um, so tell me about your training experiences. I, my my understanding is, um, you know, most actors, at least in the Houston area, in and even when um, even many of them that are doing it in community theater have some sort of training and background. Tell me about your training experiences. Um, well, you know, when I was a kid, random acting classes. Then in high school, I took classes with the eighty players all throughout high school. And then um, I took a little break for about a year and a half dancing with a company. And then I went to Lone Star College and did acting there. That's where I met Jared. And then we went on to Sam Houston where I did musical theater as my major. And then just doing shows wherever I can. Most of my education, I feel like, comes from doing a show. But Mm -hmm. that was also my major in college. Okay. So was there any person during those training years that really you felt influenced you or? Absolutely. Um, so once we get up to college, the two main teachers that influenced me were Sherry White from Tomball College. Um, a lot of my teaching style I get from her. And then uh, Tom Pryor at Sam Houston. I learned so much from Tom. Okay. Yeah. Um, mine are actually the, the same two people. Um, as far as training goes, I think in regards to acting, the biggest teacher is doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, you know, starting from high school, started taking theater classes and, you know, get into college and taking speech and uh, speech classes and theater classes and acting one, two, three, four, and so on and all that kind of stuff. Um yeah, so there's a training in acting that way, and then um, for singing, I am classically trained um, for singing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a lot of voice lessons, just teaching you how to place everything exactly right. And uh, I don't just do classical styling either. So it's, <laughs> I from there branched out and trained all other forms of genre singing, um, and then didn't start dance training like actual training until college um and then fortunately married this wonderful dancer who's given me tips and trained me in other forms so yeah that, that's our training is some classes some training and official training but mainly doing mm-hmm. okay you learn by messing up too yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely <laughs> 
Okay. Tell me about your preparation when you're cast. When you when you uh, when you're casting a role, is there anything special that you do before auditions, or anything special that you um, do once you're cast? As far as you know, preparing for being this other person, or at least hoping to be in a show, or taming dogs who are barking <laughs> in the background very annoyingly. Anything like that. Uh, for me, well, as we talked about earlier, I'm a writer, so my favorite thing to do to prepare for a role is I write a very, very extensive backstory for my character. Uh, when I played Irma and Anything Goes, I think it was like 15 pages long. Wow. Pra practically a book. Well, later I did turn it into a book. So yeah, that's my favorite thing is the backstory because I think that that informs every moment you have on stage. And what what do you what do you include in their in your fifteen? Page? I try to include, you know, a rough sketch of their whole life, but then the key moments in their life that led them to whatever's happening in this story, mm -hmm. um, so that I know how to react to every person on stage because I know what history we've had and things like that. Yeah. Um, for me, as far as a role in the show, um, I do not quite so in depth, but more like trying to figure out exactly who that character is and how would me as Jared react to what is happening to this character and then figure out, okay, what's the base personality of this person I'm playing and how would that person react and then kind of do a combination of the two for how I'm actually going to play it. Um, and then for auditions, um, I discovered... For preparing for auditions, I've just got to make sure I'm going in and having fun. Because if I put too much pressure behind an audition, then I bomb that audition. And so it's got to be like I dance around and shake around and try to keep muscles loose. And then like, okay, there's always another audition. There's always another audition I can go to. <laughs> it's right. not a big deal. So No, that makes sense to me. Um, as far as... Um auditions i just kind of try to pretend that um, whatever it is i'm going for or whatever it is i'm asked to read um i just try to make sure or or get it in my mindset that i already have this part and this is um this is me basically showing them that you know i can perform i treat every side that they give me as um just an opportunity to be on stage and that's a, like a mini performance right there and um i try to have that be the goal really whatever happens after the audition is not in my hands it's in somebody else's hands so i try to make sure that that's um you know the, the work in itself is is what drives me instead of it's like oh my gosh i really have to get this role i mean i can worry about that later um, but while I'm on stage, it's like, you know, this is my moment. This is me. I'm already cast in this role. Nobody else, nothing else really matters for, you know, those two or three minutes that I'm, you know, asked to read something or are performing the monologue that I prepared or, you know, whatever, what have you. So, I love that. yeah, I was just recently at a dance call for a cruise line and, uh, a lot of people, when they go to these big dance calls, are telling each other, it's just like a dance class. It's a dance class. And uh, the guy holding the auditions actually said, you know, people tell you this is like a class. Okay, really think of it as just a chance to perform. 
and that does that helps a lot yeah that's uh cool amy um you're a choreographer what drives you as far as um just being i don't know what are the words i'm looking for where do how do you look for the dance or where do you look for the dance in every song i guess so um i've been dancing my whole life so whenever i hear music kind of unintentionally my brain sort of starts visualizing a dance to it um and then sometimes there are just songs that jump out that like oh my gosh what i'm seeing in my head is so cool right now uh so when i have to choreograph something i spend a long time i listen to the piece just over and over and over and over until i'm seeing a rough outline of the dance and then i start going eight count by eight count to write it down and really solidify it that's cool i i mean i i I think a good choreographer, um, and I guess it's it's harder depending on which piece of music that you've got, but um, eventually, once choreographed, the um, music actually tells you what to do. Yes. And I'm sure you see that in your head all the time, but you know, also when you're an actor who is performing the things that somebody else has choreographed, the, the music itself lends it to... Um, what comes next and me as a performer I can't always execute that very well <laughs> but um, yeah I mean the, the it's almost like um, the music writes the dance yeah it really is yeah so it's like when you're writing and if your characters are fleshed out enough um, you just they sort of talk to each other yeah the in your head act it out. yeah it's <laughs> it's that's that's kind of one of the cool things about um, I think just creating in general is like when, when the elements that you're supposed to be in control of actually talk to you right? and, and, and sort of like tell you where they, where they need to go next. Yeah. Yeah. So that's cool. And then if you find that as while you're doing dance choreography, I think that's really cool. Is that what fight choreography is like for you, Jared, or? Very similar. Um, it, it all, all the fights depend on, you know, who's performing it. So you've got the limitations of the physical body, um, who's performing it, but then you also have to let the weapon that you're using write it. So a lot of times when I'm choreographing a fight, I take in account of the person and the weapon, and then I'll have like a couple big moves I want to make sure are in there but then I let the weapon go where it's wanting to go. So whether that's hand, whether that's sword, spear, shield, you know, whatever it is you're holding, I, I let it flow and grow from what, what the weapon kind of wants to do. So you have your openings, you have your placements you want to go to, but based on what you're holding or not holding, that's going to determine where you're going. Mm -hmm. And so... You know, the same with a real fight. You've got a plan for where that weapon could come at you. Same thing as when you're directing that weapon to go to that empty space, not your actual partner. But, right. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, also telling the story of the fight. Right. Uh, so that way it looks real while not actually killing your partner. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, so yeah. And, um, this is, what are we going to now? The, um, <clears throat> now you're doing all this 
you got dance choreography in your head. You've got fight choreography in your head. You're planning a theater. You're in Kiss Me Kate. Um, you're also very active at Texas Renaissance Festival, which we actually haven't talked about yeah. yet. Amazingly. Yes, it's it's true. These aren't strangers to me. I know all these people from Texas Renaissance Festival. It's cool. Um, but how do you juggle all that and raise two kids with like everything else that you're doing? What is when you when you walk away from this, how 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 much does I guess your theater life blend into your family life and you know, how do you how do you make that work? Cuz obviously you do. <laughs> It's <laughs> we're still kind of like, how do we make that work? I know, it's a good question. Um, um, well, I mean, one know? part of it is both of our children feel they are theater people, too. Like, Declan, yeah. our son, will tell people, oh, we're actors. You know, oh, okay. To, to people. So he includes himself in that. He's an actor. He works at the Texas Renaissance Festival, too, mm -hmm. even though he, he doesn't. But, you know, he thinks he does. Um, so whenever they can be, they're with us at theater things. Um, Jared and I, before we had kids, talked about how we were going to do theater and have children. A lot of people feel they have to stop their dream in order to have children, and we didn't want to do that. So we just decided ahead of time that we were going to have to make them a part of our dream, and that a lot of the theater we want to build is because of that. We would like to be in a space that we own so that we are comfortable having our children there and having, you know, a little apartment in the back they can go to bed at while we're rehearsing. Mm -hmm. That's all a part of it. Oh, that's cool. Okay. Um, I'm hearing some music. And um, that means it's, it's time for um, the uh, cold reading strut. Cold read strut. The strutting part of the strutting and fretting. And for you guys, I have chosen um, a little bit of Much Do About Nothing. Okay. You've got the uh, Benedict and the Beatrice rolls. But just for fun, I want you to switch them. Yes. Oh, dear. <laughs> So here you go. I've actually done Benedict before. Beatrice. <laughs> and here we go. Lady Beatrice, have you wept all this while? Yea, and I will weep a while longer. I will not desire that. You have no reason. I do it freely. Surely, I do believe your fair cousin is wronged. Ah, how much might the man deserve of me that would right her? Is there any way to show such friendship? A very even way. But no such friend. May a man do it? It is a man's office, but not yours. I do love nothing in the world so well as you. Is that not strange? As strange as the thing I know not. It were as possible for me to say I love nothing so well as you, but believe me not, and yet I lie not. I confess nothing, nor I deny nothing. I am sorry for my cousin. By my sword, Beatrice, thou lovest me! Do not swear and eat it. I will swear by it that you love me, and I will make him eat it that says I love not you. Will you not eat your words? With no sauce that can be devised to it. I protest I love thee. Why then, God forgive me. What offense, sweet Beatrice? 
You have stayed me in a happy hour. I was about to protest I loved you. And do it with all thy heart. I love you with so much of my heart that none is left to protest. Come, bid me do anything for thee. Kill Claudio. <laughs> Not for the wide world. You kill me to deny it. Farewell. Terry, sweet Beatrice. I am gone, though I am here. There is no love in you. Nay, I pray you let me go. Beatrice. In faith, I will go. We'll be friends first. You dare easier be friends with me than fight with mine enemy. Is Claudio thine enemy? Is he not approved in the height a villain that hath slandered, scorned, dishonored my kinswoman? Oh, that I were man! What bear her in hand until they come to the take hands, and then with, with public accusations, uncovered slander, un, unmitigated rancor? Oh, God, that I were man, I would eat his heart in the marketplace. Hear me, Beatrice. I... Talk with a man out at a window. I proper saying. Nay, but Beatrice... Sweet hero, she is wronged. She is slandered. She is undone. Beatrice... Princes and counties. Surely a princely testimony, a goodly count. Count Comfect, a sweet gallant. Surely, oh, that I were a man for his sake... Oh, that I had any friend would be a man for my sake. But manhood is melted into curtsies, valour into compliments, and men are only turned into tongue and trim ones too. He is now a valiant as Hercules that only tells a lie and swears it. I cannot be a man with wishing. Therefore I will die a woman with grieving. Terry, good Beatrice, by this hand I love thee. Use it for my love some other way than swearing by it. Think you in your soul, the Count Claudio hath wronged Hero. Yea, as sure as I have thought or a soul. Enough. I am engaged. I will challenge him. I will kiss your hand, and so I leave you. By this hand, Claudio shall render me a dear account. As you hear of me, so think of me. Go, comfort your cousin. I must say she is dead. And so, farewell. Okay. <laughs> so how did that feel? <laughs> awesome. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. I have to say, some of my dream roles are guys. So, yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> I'm glad to make your dreams come true. Yes. That's pretty cool. Um, is there anything else that you guys wanted to talk about while we're here? Because I think I'm out of questions. <laughs> Um, I just want to throw out there that one of the things we are trying to do as we get started with the theater is secure a rehearsal space. So if you do look at our Kickstarter, um, a large portion of the funding is for one year uh, lease at a business warehouse space that would be large enough to rehearse in. And that way we could rehearse there all day, every day, whenever we need to. So... That's something we're really looking for. It would give us a lot of flexibility and the ability to do multiple projects at once. Yes. Okay. And speaking of the multiple projects, we also have a couple others um, that are in the works, ones that don't, don't need much funding. Mm -hmm. So if by chance we can't get our full funding for Come Alive, we have a couple other ones that will keep Haven Arts Theater alive. Okay. And we'll just 
make processes much, 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 much slower getting everything going. Right. But it's not like if we don't get our funding that Haven Arch is going to die. We're keeping this going and it's going to keep, you know, eventually right. is going to get where we want it to go. But we're not going to worry about that right now because people are going to go to Kickstarter That's after, right. after hearing this. <laughs> and uh, because, I mean, you know, the, the best possible version of uh, Haven Arts Theater is up to is up to you guys, our listening audience and actors and theater patrons and people out in Houston that are interested in seeing um, this glorious show and interested in being um, part of, of Jared and Amy's dream, which is a pretty kick-ass awesome one. So um, I think that uh, I'll just mention the Kickstarter one last time. If you go to kickstarter.com and Look for Haven Arts Theater or look for Come Alive uh, in Houston. You should be able to find and donate. And if for some reason you're not in a position to donate, uh, sharing with other people who you know can donate is also very, very helpful. Well, it's been delightful talking to both of you and uh, playing some games today. Thanks for coming in. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you for having Thank us. You. Absolutely. And just to wrap up, Amy and Jared Barnes are starting up a Haven Arts Theater and can also be seen in Kiss Me Kate together at the Owen Theater in Conroe starting Friday, May 4th. Uh, for Kiss Me Kate details and tickets, uh, go to owentheater.com. And if people wanted to follow the two of you on social media or Haven Arts Theater on social media, where should they go to do that? They can go to pretty much any of the social media sites. We are Facebook. on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, um, Pinterest. Wow, even I don't have a Snapchat account. Wow, that's <laughs> yeah. that's funny. Um, okay. And we opened all under Haven Arts Theater. So. Okay. And there's also a, a, a strutting and fretting blog uh, that we will be starting when we're when each new episode is up, so uh, I will be sure to link those things there. Uh, thanks again. Appreciate you all coming in. It was a great time. You've been listening to Strutting and Fretting, conversations with actors and performing artists from Houston and beyond. Our theme music is by Ben Miller. Part of this episode was written by William Shakespeare. Speaking to you from Studio E42, I'm your host, Timothy Eggert. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you in the cheap seats.